Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, media strategist, and health coach helping you live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing the episode today my conversation with Kay Moore. Kay is the founder of Synergy 5 and is an accomplished Vedic meditation teacher, Ayurvedic wellness counselor, and diversity, inclusion, and belonging consultant who works and speaks at the intersection of culture, self-care, and the essence of being. With 12 plus years of corporate finance and legal experience at top Fortune 500 companies, Kay decided to pivot and focus her time and efforts outside of that realm. Since then, she has had an unwavering commitment to advancing equity and ensuring at-risk youth and disenfranchised communities not only have access to reveal, release, and build fortitude against daily stress through meditation and Ayurveda, but to see someone who looks like them while doing so. Kay also helps businesses, schools, and health and wellness providers structure scholarships, sustainable income-based pricing, and learn cultural competencies to not only be more diverse, but help others feel a true sense of belonging. Kay has taught across the U.S. and internationally to busy moms, the hustling entrepreneur, corporate professionals from the cubicle to the C-suite, students of all ages, seniors, medical professionals, first responders, and VIPs. We had such a fun conversation about how she discovered Vedic meditation, her love of Ayurveda, and so much more. Thank you for being here, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Kaymore. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Paula. Thank you so very much for having me. Such an honor to be here with you. I'm so grateful for you coming and for you being here. And I was wondering if you could start by taking us through your journey with Vedic meditation and just share a little bit about how you that came onto your path. I was at a time in my life where I was, like many people, dealing with daily stressors, but I had a bunch of extra things on my plate. At that time, my mother had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I was traveling a lot for my corporate job in and out of the country, 60 plus hours a week, and I was extremely stressed out. And it just so happened that one day I came out of work and there was a note on my car about meditation. I looked into it and it seemed okay. But once I saw what the financial contribution was for it, I thought, oh, that's crazy. I'm going on vacation with my girlfriends anyway. So <laughs> we all got together, hopped down to Mexico for three days, you know, fun and sun, a few adult beverages, had a good time. But what I noticed is as soon as I came back, that stress and that anxiety and that heavy weighted feeling came back immediately. It did not leave me. And as I began to do more research into meditation, particularly Vedic meditation, I was so enthralled with other people had gone through what their results were. So I went ahead and took the plunge and learned how to meditate. And it was such a beautiful instant connection, such deep release straight away for me. And it's something that I've been practicing twice a day, every day for years now. And it made such a change in my life. I really feel like it helped me heal in so many ways, definitely brought me to Ayurveda. And it's just been my goal since then to make sure that people are able to experience that birthright of calm, that birthright of stillness and peace, 
that's inside of all of us that we definitely can all tap. It's just that so many people don't know that it's available or they think that it's not for them because they don't see anyone that looks like them doing that. So I just wanted to hopefully be a beacon for not just people that look like me, but for all people to let them know that there's something that you can take with you to help cultivate your inner peace. And you don't need to have a CD. You don't need to have a guided meditation. You don't need a book. You don't need to have a special instructor or a guru. Everything that you need to self-heal and to give yourself that peace and to help work out knots and old anxieties and trauma, it's all with inside of us. I love that. And you mentioned Ayurveda, and I do want to talk about that. But can you tell us a little bit about what Vedic meditation is and how it differs from other types of meditation? Sure. So many other meditations, especially right now, you'll, well, now that the world is opening back up, you'll see so many different places that say, hey, stop in for a 15 minute guided meditation, or they'll have meditations that are music based or meditations that are based on you sitting in a particular position with fingers in a certain way. And what Vedic meditation is, it's based off of what we call mantras. And these are what have been said to be like the original sounds of the earth. None of the mantras are a word. So there's not a mantra that says refrigerator or banana or plum. <laughs> because if you think about those things, that's what you're going to think about while you're meditating. So these mantras are sounds or vibrations from the earth. And you just say those internally while you meditate quietly. And normally that's done twice a day, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on if it's a child or an adult or what your comfort or available amount of time is. And it's just really beautiful. And it's very ancient, ancient practice that was, you know, passed down through oral tradition and through the Vedas from India. And it's also a meditation where I believe I mentioned earlier, you don't have to have any tools or utensils. So you don't have to do a drop in meditation. You don't have to have anyone guiding you through and bringing you out of the meditation you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of this meditation. And I believe that's what's so beautiful about it. And you're also a Vedic meditation teacher now, right? Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Very proudly. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen it help your students? Tremendously. You know what? I will tell you in most communities, especially here in America, and I think we've even seen this when people have spoken about legislation in different states like Alabama and Texas recently were there's been a correlation between religion and yoga or religion and Ayurveda. And so one thing I was noticing is that many people, when I would speak to them about meditation or Vedic meditation, they would immediately think that they had to switch religions, believe in certain things. That is definitely not the case. And one thing I've seen in so many different people is, again, not only the peace and calm that they receive, but just an inner knowing that whatever they're learning through Vedic meditation, that it bolsters their spirituality. So whether someone is a Christian, whether they're Jewish, whether they're atheist, whether they're just spiritual and not sure, them coming to meditation, Vedic meditation has bolstered whatever it is that they believe in and kind of given them a stronger sense of oneness. And I think that is really, really amazing. And I've seen people's health improve. Stress affects us, not just in our temperament at the moment, but in the way we process emotions, the way we process everything in our body, I've seen that happen a lot. I've seen students, especially younger children, where it's really helped with their ability to focus in class to get better grades. You know, they say that the prefrontal cortex is not fully formed until, I guess, depending on 
you know, sex anywhere from in between 23 and 25 years old. And I've seen students who react right away. They react right away. They don't think at all. I've seen them stop in a moment and you can see that light switch coming on. And because they're utilizing all of these different parts of their brain, that they're able to calm themselves and to think instead of reacting. And that's one big thing that all of us can do in almost every realm of our life to be proactive instead of reactive. And I've seen that happen. I've seen it not only affect my health, but other people's health. And just the way that they deal with people in relationships. If you're stressed out, everyone's going to get the stressed out version of you. And the stressed out version of you is never the best version of you. I don't like me when I haven't had sleep and I haven't eaten. I feel like I'm Cruella DeVille. I don't like that girl. So Mm -hmm. we definitely want to eat and get some sleep and do our meditation so we can be our best version of ourselves, not just for other people, but for ourselves also. You're more productive. You have more energy. And it's just an all round blessing. And again, a birthright, I feel that we all should be able to tap into. I love that. I feel like we should all be doing meditation right now, considering the circumstances. These pandemic lifestyles, definitely. So you mentioned Ayurveda. So tell us a little bit about how you got into Ayurveda. How did Vedic meditation lead you there? Vedic meditation is based out of the Vedas, ancient text from India. And a sister to that is Ayurveda. And at the time, not only was I highly stressed, but again, I think I mentioned that stress plays a major part on the health of your body. So at that particular time, the stress in my body was manifesting as really huge fibroids. And many women will have cysts, like ovarian cysts and things of that nature. But for some reason, African-American women and Hispanic women are overwhelmingly high in the percentile when it comes to dealing with fibroids. And I had fibroids that were so large to where the point where it was debilitating sometimes. And I was told that I was going to have to have several different surgeries. So once I started looking into Ayurveda, I mean, wow, Ayurveda just felt like a communion with the truth. We always see there's intelligence in nature, right? So, you know, we have the four seasons, like clockwork. Nature knows when to turn itself on and off. We have daytime going off and on. And it really taught me about the intelligence that's inside of myself, that's inside of my cells, that's inside of my body it really put a highlight on the relationships between all things, between all people. So Ayurveda really helped me with self-exploration and self-help healing, really helped me heal. And after I started incorporating, I didn't go Ayurveda a thousand percent. I took small baby steps into it, also still doing my meditation. And I began to heal from fibroids. And one thing that my physicians told me was that this is going to be an ongoing thing. You're going to have to have myomectomies and, you know, large surgeries where I would be out of work for a week, at least once a year. And since I began to incorporate Ayurveda, since I began to meditate on a regular basis, I have not had any issues with fibroids since. Women's health is so important to me. It's definitely been highlighted these last few years, these last few months. And if there's anything I could tell women that are having menstrual issues, whether it's PCOS or fibroids, to definitely look into some of the Ayurvedic remedies. And one thing I love so much about Ayurveda, again, kind of the same thing with Vedic meditation, everything coming from the Vedas, their outlook is preventative, not corrective. So where Western medicine is, oh, you're having an issue. Let me give you pills. Let me cut on you. Ayurveda and Vedic meditation come from a standpoint of let's be proactive. Let's work on things before they get as bad as they possibly could be. And let's work on things so that they don't continue to hurt you or manifest in different ways. Because again, stress doesn't just manifest in a temporary 
argumentative feeling of frustration. It manifests in the way your food is processed. It manifests in the way you process emotions. It builds up in your joints. It builds up in your blood. So we want to be able to process all those things in a healthy way that's not disruptive to our daily life because we still have to live, right? You still mm-hmm. you know kids and jobs and farms and garden work and family things they have to do. And we're never not going to be stressed. In this modern day, we're always going to have stress. Everything is pulling for our attention. But if we can take that time and center ourselves daily with meditation, if we can take that time to incorporate a few things from Ayurveda every day, the benefits and the results are just outstanding. And I saw how profoundly they showed up in my life and made an immense difference. And it is just my delight to be able to share those gifts and tools with other people so they can help heal themselves as well. I am also a big fan of Ayurveda and I love everything that you just said. And I didn't even know that you were a fibroid survivor because I am as well. I had a myomectomy in 2014 and it was all stress-based as well. It's just a, you know, I held all of my stress down there and that's my thinking anyway, but doing Ayurvedic practices like oiling my skin and eating hot liquids throughout the winter and using certain Mm -hmm. herbs in the spring and the fall and doing cleanses and all those things have really helped me find balance, you know, just like you described. So I'm so excited by your enthusiasm because I I have the same level of enthusiasm. And I know that you're also a chef. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how Ayurvedic cooking, Indian flavors, like how that also inspired you. What And tell us what are your favorite Indian flavors and why? You know, everything with Ayurveda, with the Vedas has been a domino effect in my life. So we started out with meditation and then that led me down the path to learning about Ayurveda. And then Ayurveda as a whole, as an umbrella, led me down to becoming an Ayurvedic chef about learning about Ayurvedic food. Being born here in the West, you know how they always say you don't know what you don't know? Well, we don't know. I was just talking to someone recently and telling them that it is customary in America, whether you are in the North or the South, the East or the West Coast, to have a cold beverage with your drink. You were just mentioning that, to have a cold beverage, cold water. And once I started learning things about to have certain seasonings, maybe you shouldn't have cold beverages certain times a year with meals because of it, you know, damaging your internal fire. So Once I began to learn more about Ayurveda that led me down to learning about how to cook for my constitution, how to cook for my body type, it just became so, 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 so important to my daily cooking. And again, many people that I speak to and I try to teach them about Ayurveda, I will even tell you that this isn't their experience. It was mine. And you may be able to speak to this. Once you start finding out about Ayurveda, it is mind blowing. You want to learn more. You want to know more and more. You become a sponge. But there's also a moment where in a way it feels overwhelming. It's like, oh, my gosh, there are so many rules and I'm so American. Like, how am I going to follow all of these rules? But it's just about picking out portions that you know you can do and gradually sustaining those things and then adding more and more to it. And I'll tell you one thing that I made a mistake of and many people do is thinking that, oh, well, I go to my local Indian restaurant. So that's Ayurvedic cooking. Mm -hmm. That that is not the same. I enjoy Indian food with a passion. I love curry and all of the good stuff and the naan and the chapatis. I love all of it. But that is different from Ayurvedic cooking. And with Ayurvedic cooking, we're using certain spices and cooking certain foods that are grown in certain types of the year, depending on where you are, 
to make them work for your body. And it's not about depriving yourself. It's not a diet. It's just a way of preparing food and using certain spices to make sure that your internal fires are at their highest, right? So we're processing and digesting our food. And then when we process and digest all of our foods, it nourishes every layer of our body. I was just speaking to someone about some bodily issues that they were having. And, you know, they were telling me, oh, well, they go to Whole Foods, they do organic this, whole this, you know, raw this. And we can spend a whole paycheck at Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the nicknames. If you go to Whole Foods, you'll spend your whole check. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you can spend your whole paycheck at Whole Foods. But if you're not properly digesting your food with spices and times of day that you're eating and the amounts of food that you're eating, all of the levels of tissue in our body that need that nourishment, they won't get it. So it's just simple, practical, everyday things. And some of my most favorite spices in Ayurveda that I use, gosh, possibly cumin is definitely one. Mm, Me too. (laughs) Fennel. I found a really great deal recently at Costco. Costco had a great deal on some organic uh, saffron. Oh, sign me up. Sign me up. And I really love going to my local Indian store and getting fresh curry leaves weekly. Oh, that's so nice. I love it. I haven't found a source here. I need to just get some plants. <laughs> I saw the chef Padma Lakshmi on her Instagram. Mm-hmm. She was talking about her curry leaf trees and she showed them she had like five of them. I was really impressed. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that. And I think before you've told me though, that you really like Hing. So can you share like what what it is about that flavor too that you love and and can you describe it for people who may not be initiated in the world of Hing? Oh, yes, I forgot about Hing. So Hing, another name where I believe the classical name for Hing is Asafoetida mm-hmm. and it is delicious. One of the things I love about it is that traditionally when you're cooking Ayurvedic, they'll tell you that you're not supposed to use garlic and onions unless you're doing something medicinal for like a healing property. Mm. But you grow up here in the West, we throw garlic, I think they call it the Trinity. It's garlic, onion, and celery. Mm-hmm. It's thrown in everything. So what I love about asafoetida or hing, the smell is intoxicating to me. I love it. And it's kind of almost like garlic. You know, sometimes I used to eat certain sandwiches and go, I know my breath may be a little aggressive, <laughs> but I want onion and I want extra, extra onion. So one thing I love about Hing is the flavor. It puts me in the mind of garlic and onion, which I don't use so much directly in my foods anymore. And you only need a smidgen of it. I know here we usually over season or we'll take out a seasoning and cover all of our food in it. And with Hing, you only need a small amount and it packs such a bold flavor. And thank you for mentioning that because it is so much of a favorite of mine that I can walk into an Indian store and smell it and it will turn my whole mood around. I can smell it immediately. I mean, I have a deep reverence for that. I love it so much. And I would suggest that anyone get it, go to the store again, ask for hing or asafoetida. It kind of comes in a, it's definitely in a powder form. I feel like a creamy off-white, like an eggshell white. And again, you only need a smidgen. Test it out. See, see how you like it. And one other thing that's different in... Ayurveda cooking versus what we do here in the West. Normally in the West, we'll cook food and we'll season the food all the while. So we'll start cooking it and then throw in paprika, throw in salt, throw in pepper, throw in whatever we're using, you know, emerald seasoning. Well, in Ayurvedic cooking, 
we kind of enliven and awaken the prana, the life force in the seasonings. So we'll put the oil in first or we'll use ghee first and then we'll put in the cumin and wake that up and put the hing in and wake that up and a little bit of Himalayan sea salt. Wake those spices up. And that's pretty much all the seasoning we ever have to do. And once you get to the end of your dish, it's beautifully seasoned, beautifully flavored. You normally don't even have to add any additional salt. It's just perfect. And you have a live and well and giving and nourishing meal right there for you without all the extra work that we're so used to doing when preparing meals. Oh my gosh, you're getting me so excited for dinner. (laughs) What are you going to make? When is your cookbook coming out, Kay? (laughs) I don't know. Sometime soon I've been asked about and it's like, I don't know what book to do for something about my personal life, about Ayurveda in particular or food, but definitely you'll be the first to know. So you do like to write? Oh my gosh. You know what? This is so funny. I graduated high school early And one of the ways I got lots of extra credits was taking advanced English classes. So I am a total literary nerd. I love to write. I love to edit. I remember getting papers back from teachers and feeling like I must have done a great job editing because I don't have as many red marks as I did last time. So I love to write. And it really feels kind of cathartic and kind of therapeutic to me to write, whether it's storytelling or it is poetry or just even writing articles. I love to do it. It's something that I've always loved. I remember being younger and I don't know where I got this from, but I used to just grab a dictionary and like read words. Mm -hmm. I remember I was going on a walk with my uncle one day and I don't know what word I said to him. And he's like, you're five. Why do you know that word? And I would (laughs) read the dictionary. So I love everything about the the English language and writing and It's always been a passion of mine. So I don't think that's going to go anywhere. And if I can incorporate that passion with my newer passion of Ayurveda and with these beautiful ancient traditions, then that's just chef's kiss. That will be beautiful. When I hear you say that, I'm thinking about the astrology and I'm like, oh, her second house must be strong (laughs) and her third house. (laughs) That's where I go. Um, So just kind of on the same track, but maybe with a little step to the side, what does it mean to you to be living in your purpose? Because that's really the topic of this this podcast. And it's a question I get a lot as an astrologer when I'm sitting with clients is like, you know, how do I find my dharma? How do I figure this out? So I was hoping you could give us some insight. The way I came to it was, I won't say it was strange. You just never know. I remember being in fourth or fifth grade going somewhere with an aunt. My aunt was um, very well known in the St. Louis area, a executive director, CEO of a lot of larger companies here. And she had taken me to something with her. And I met a law student and I was enthralled with the law. And the lady and I got so close. You know, she gave me some of her law school books. Um, She even came to my, my elementary school and spoke to my class about being an attorney. Mm. And I just thought, I'm going to be a lawyer. So that was my first click at the law. So I did get involved in all those things. And as I got older, what I found is that Ayurveda is natural law. Mm-hmm. It is, again, the relationship between all things, between all people, life's intelligence. And for me, living my purpose, originally, I thought that meant man's law. And then that was introduced to me at a young age. And I come to find the universe was trying to show me wasn't man's law, but it was natural law. So I don't know if there's any one thing that you can do that's going to show you what your dharma is. 
I think that you will just intrinsically and naturally feel very, very passionate about it. And once you connect the dots, you'll see there were always signs along the way. There were always feelings or signs along the way, but you probably just couldn't put them together. And I'll tell you, I come from a family that's very deeply rooted in community and giving back. So even when I was young, after Thanksgiving, we would pick names because the family was large. We pick names for Christmas. And then after that, we would go pass out meals and help the homeless. So I've always been involved in giving back. And when I was involved in corporate America, you know, anybody, especially when you're younger, you're going to be so excited about paycheck or, you know, I've gone to school and these things are showing themselves. But I always felt empty and hollow. I didn't feel like I was helping people. I didn't feel like I was helping communities. Some of the work I was doing in corporate America actually was counterintuitive to the teachings in the Bible, in the Quran, Judaism, anything. And I just didn't feel good and right about that. And one thing that I loved about Ayurveda and about meditation is that once I speak to someone and they see what my passion is, and we, we all have hiccups and hurdles in our lives. We all need help. One thing you'll hear me say a whole lot is each one teach one. So if I can touch one person and they learn anything from me, they're going to continue to pass that knowledge down and it's going to get to other people. And the fact that I'm able to help people with their health, the fact that I'm able to help people feel better about their lives every day, that awakened a fire in me that I never knew was there before. I've never felt as passionate or as in love with anything before. And that's how I knew that this was my dharma because I had chances to walk away from it and I never could let it go. I never could let it down. And everything where I was talking to you today about meditation and then we went into Ayurveda and then we went into the cooking, all these things have domino snowballed effect in a positive way for me instead of the inverse. All those small things that I've noticed along the way from being in fourth or fifth grade to now, they've all led me to here. And it's something that once you feel it and once you know it, you can't look back at the old you and you don't want to do anything else. It's that strong. It's that powerful. It has a hold on you. And the possibilities for what you can do for yourself and other people are endless. And it doesn't matter if you're as successful as you were in your previous life. You're going to make such a large impact on people that the success is definitely going to come. It may not come when you want it to or look the way you want it to, but it, it definitely will come back. Thank you for sharing that. I think that'll be helpful for people who are changing careers or thinking about it. I think people shouldn't be afraid of that. You know, I'm of a generation where I remember my parents telling me, you go to college, you go to school, you get a job, you stay at that job for 30 years, you get a pension, you get your 401k, and that's your life. And now I'm from a generation where, you know, people are, you know, changing careers three, four, five times. Many jobs don't have pensions now. So, and you find that many people, once they get to that second or third level of what work is for them, it's more soul purpose driven. If you are looking for better ways to understand astrology and yourself, you are in luck because I have a course out now called The Planets. And it goes in depth into the stories of the planets, their characteristics, how we can have a relationship with them, how they may afflict us and what to do about it. 
You also learn a lot about karma, about Vedic astrology and what it is, where it originates from, how to read your chart. So it's a pretty in-depth look and a helpful tool for you to better understand astrology. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to weaveyourbliss.teachable.com. You'll see the planets there and you can click through and learn more. I first met you through a social justice webinar that you made for Ayurvedic practitioners. Is that still accessible online? Oh, yes, it sure is. We have a dedicated website and I also have it available on my YouTube page. And I believe there is a link on my website as well, but still available. And we've been trying to add resources to it here and there. Oh, great. So we'll add that to the show notes. And I found it to be such a helpful resource. I really... Uh, I thought the three of you did such a good job. And I was wondering, do you feel like people in Ayurveda and yoga, in the Ayurveda and yoga space have been responsive to including social justice in their work? That's a good question. It feels multi-layered. I'll speak to yoga first. I do feel like in yoga, there has definitely been a call to action and it has been answered and heard and it's being heard by so many people. And I believe there's a difference in between yoga and Ayurveda. They're sister sciences. You know, they come from the same place. But yoga is more widely known here in America. So when people hear about Ayurveda, they're not as familiar with that as they are yoga. They're not well versed in the lack of diversity in Ayurveda or the issues that Ayurveda is currently having at the moment. Now, one thing I will tell you that was so inspirational to me is that when we had this call to action for Ayurveda and anti-racism, there was an overwhelming amount of people from the community, primarily white women, that were engaged, that wanted to take action, and more than anything, that noticed the lack of diversity and noticed issues in the Ayurvedic community well before this whole um, movement around George Floyd and everything happened. And one thing I continue to tell people is hope is a is a verb. You have to take action. And you can't just in your mind say, oh, that's not right. Or, oh, I don't care. You have to care enough to actually do something. And whether that is when you see an injustice calling that thing out, because if you kind of stand by the wayside and watch injustices happen to people, then in a way you're agreeing with it. You're giving Mm. permission for things to continue. That's not just with race. But that's with everything. But one thing I have found is that, again, race isn't the only type of diversity that we need in Ayurveda. But racial discrimination, like so many other things in America, racial discrimination towards Black people is the most prominent form. And there are so many spaces where I don't see Black people being included or they try to be included and their voices may get squashed or they're just not even a thought. And I've had so many people reach out to me that say, hey, I want to include scholarships. How can I reach out to the African-American community, especially with 2020 has been the year of the unveiling, you know, opening everyone's eyes. A lot of us already knew about the discrimination that black people face in America's health systems. But this really opened people's eyes. And especially with Mm. COVID-19 and the disparities between health and who was being affected the most or being hospitalized. It's so important now for people to take those fundamentals of Ayurveda and to use those to not only improve their health, but to improve the health of people in their community. And one thing I tell people, and Americans really get caught up in this, 
we feel like our community is a 10 to 14 mile radius. And that usually means people that look like you, people that think like you, people directly around you. I'll give you an example. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, where there was the whole situation with Mike Brown. People in St. Louis felt like, oh, well, that's not my community. That's not my area. They didn't live in Ferguson, Missouri. They lived in Chesterfield, Missouri. That's miles away. But if you look on a larger scale, it's all considered St. Louis. So when larger companies say, we don't want to come to St. Louis, they're not saying we don't want to come to Ferguson because of racism and discrimination. They don't want to come to St. Louis as a whole. And that means that the whole region, the whole city as a whole, misses out on opportunities. And the same way you can miss out on opportunities, you can gain them. So I say that to say, don't just look at the people that look like you right around you. Think globally, because again, we're all connected some way. And if we can get past what people look like and understand that we're all human, that we all function the same, that we were all, whether you believe in God, universe, spirit, whatever you believe in, there's a oneness between all of us. And we should all know that when one of us hurts, that we all hurt and we should all be included in everything. All of our voices should be heard and know that there's some value to them. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so powerful. And I'm wondering in this moment, if you feel hopeful that we can actually overcome our history or not. One thing I do is speak truth to power. Some people love it. Some people don't like it. I don't think that'll happen in my lifetime. The slavery and injustices of um, black and brown people have been going on for over 400 years. And while we have some advances, people always point to Barack Obama, Oprah. (laughs) Well, you're pointing to a hand to a small amount of people when there are millions of people who we just saw recently. There was a black gentleman who's in the army with his army suit on and he's still being treated untoward. You see police situations happen and the police make a full police report with no truth in it. And then a neighbor has a video camera and the truth comes out. You see where there are conferences held and there's not one black person in sight. So I do think that there can be some change, but I don't think it'll be in our lifetime. And this may sound corny. I love uh, another tidbit about me. I love sci-fi. I'm a sci-fi freak. (laughs) Do you know who Thanos is? I don't, but my husband probably does. (laughs) Okay. Ask your husband about Thanos and all his stones and, and the snap. So just really quick, one thing that Thanos says in the Avenger movies is he's doing something untoward and he wants to make the universe better. And his philosophy is that the world won't be better until the people that know what was aren't anymore. Now, in the context of the movie, that sounds crazy because he wants to get rid of half the people in the universe. He wants to collect all these infinity stones and snap and then half the people are gone. The only part I agree with with him on that is that the whole there have to be people who don't recall what was. So there are so many people now and we see this in our government. They keep saying, make America great again. Well, when was America great? It wasn't great for everyone or people are in a rush to get back to normal. Well, normal wasn't really good for everyone. So if we keep looking back to these old things where there were injustices and people weren't included and the laws of the land were not meant for all people, then that cycle will continue. So I think it will happen, but I don't think that I'll be here to see it. Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that my ancestors and my grandparents before me thought that things would be different now for me at my age, but I still have conversations with some neighbors that are in their seventies. They're 70 years old 
and I'm in my thirties and we're still having similar experiences. Mm. So that's heartbreaking, but I'm, I'm hopeful there will be change, but I don't know if there's enough fight in the people who don't look like me for that to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Hmm. I love that you speak truth to power. We need more of that. And my hope is that if there's anything I can say, you know, I don't have your perspective, but my real, my hope is that we start speaking more truth to power. And that's what I feel is happening. And I don't know what the outcome of that is, but my hope is that people get braver and they start, you know, speaking truth. And and we live in, in more of a truthful era <laughs> of human life. To piggyback off what you just said, I want to thank you not only for including me on this podcast series, but for all the work that you've done. I don't know if your listeners know that you have been very powerful, very instrumental in using your voice for change in Ayurveda and yoga in the world. One thing I tell so many different people, this is going to sound sad, but it's the truth. I, as a Black woman, as a person of color, I can write books, I can teach seminars, I can do online webinars, And I'm going to get a few people, but white women in particular in this country have so much power. And if they used their power and their privilege to help other people, those results that you were talking about that I'm hopeful for, but don't think I'll see in my lifetime, that can be exalted tremendously. So the things that you've been doing with your voice and your time, they're bringing light and you're able to touch people's hearts and eyes that for whatever reason, they won't hear it or feel it from me, but they are they will hear it and feel it from you. They'll hear it and feel it from someone at Whole Foods or they'll hear it and feel it from someone that is in their neighborhood. And they may have mentioned something three or four times. You know, there are so many people who are overwhelmed with our news cycle from our previous president and things going on. They don't touch the news anymore. It's too much. So that's not, you know, an indictment on them. That's just saying that there is so much negative going on. But if people use their voices, it can make such a tremendous change. Just the same way that you had a bunch of moms get together and they fought and they these were moms that were working, that weren't working, that had kids. And they said, hey, these ingredients in these cereals or these dyes, I don't want my kids ingesting those. And those are harmful for all of us. And those aren't right. The same way you can be as passionate about that, if people are passionate about diversity, inclusion, and making sure that everyone belongs, the same way we were able to get those results for food and things being changed and labeled properly, we can get those for diversity and inclusion. And I just want to thank you for your time and commitment. And I've seen you online and in your personal life, use your voice and your position to not only exalt the voices of other people, but to touch the hearts and minds of so many people. And again, you'll hear me continue to say this, each one teach one. Mm. I don't know how many people that you've reached out to and touched, but I know you've changed some minds. Now, do you lose some people because they get tired of hearing about it? Sure. Someone's going to drop off here and there. But as tired as some people are about hearing about diversity and inclusion, think about how tired people are of dealing with racism and bias right. every day. So when someone as strong spirited and as sweet and caring and giving as you uses your voice, People like you are going to be what really changes this world. So I just want to thank you for empowering others, for using your voice. And again, women in particular, white women in particular, don't ever feel hesitant. Use your voice. It's so powerful. And that is the change we need to see in this world. And it's going to help change Ayurveda also. Thank you so much for saying that. You know, I do get some flack. Sometimes people say that I'm being political, but I don't think it's political at all to talk about 
equality and people's rights and being able to thrive, you know, that's all in Ayurveda. And we are a diverse nation. (laughs) And and we cannot deny that we need to support diversity, we need to support all the colors of the rainbow and support all people to thrive and that it's a spiritual thing. In my opinion, it has to do with Dharma. So I appreciate you saying that. But also like this ties into the theme of this podcast, which is that's me living in my purpose. I don't think I could do otherwise because I would be like, I would be feeling bad. And who wants to feel bad? <laughs> I feel more and empowered when I say something when, than when yes. I don't. Just want to segue off one thing that you said, because you said it so perfectly. And it, it's the truth. There is a very strong and a very intimate relationship between the spiritual and the social, between personal and political. They're all universal. So when I hear someone who says, oh, well, you're being political or I don't want to get involved in politics. What I hear is that issue doesn't affect me. So I don't want to get involved. I want to walk away. I don't want to be involved in that. But it's not political to me. Again, we were talking about Dharma and Ayurveda and the Vedas. And if anyone knows even amount of what yoga stems from, how can you say that you practice yoga, that you practice Ayurveda, that you believe in these beautiful ancient teachings and then see wrong be done to any person, whether they're a darker hue than you, a different sex than you, whether they identify as a person different than you and you go, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to post about that. That's political. That's all human. That's all spiritual and social, political and personal. It's universal. That's that oneness. And we all have to take care of each other. We won't see justice and we won't feel the righteousness of this world unless we all take care of each other. We have to. I would love it if people acted like they did a month after 9-11. After 9-11, everybody in America were given blood, We're giving to institutions. We're embracing everybody. I don't want it to be where it has to be 9-11 or a man like George Floyd dies from having a police officer have their knee in his neck for almost 10 minutes. Why do we have to go to tragedy? Let's just all work together and build together every day. Let's not wait for the worst thing to happen. I just want to say like, amen or something. (laughs) That's just so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh, So I want to go into some rapid fire questions. These are just some fun kind of quick questions that, you know, you can answer however you feel like. Is that okay? Awesome. Soft. Let's go. Okay. So what is one piece of advice that's really helped you in your life? Mm. Oh gosh, I've gotten so many great tidbits. I will tell you what someone told me. I don't think they knew it was going to move me. It brought me to tears. I had an older lady tell me, no does not mean no. No means not right now. And so many of us hear no and we get discouraged. We drop our heads. Our spirits get lower. We walk away from something that we might feel passionate about. It could even be what we were talking about, our purpose. We feel like, oh, I'm running into blockades. I'm running into a bottleneck. This must be the universe telling me no. If you feel passionate about something, it's not the universe telling you no, it's just not right now, or let's find a different way. So I would just want to encourage people, again, no does not mean no, it just means not right now. And that's one of the most profound things anyone has ever told me, and it's so true. When you feel anxious, confused, or frustrated, what is the thing you do to ground yourself? That has changed recently. (laughs) Shout out to COVID-19. So before the pandemic, when I would feel that way, I would just either throw in an extra meditation, kind of sit with myself, 
um, I would journal a lot. So I would journal a lot to kind of get those feelings and frustrations down and then meditate. But what I've found, um, especially during the pandemic, is that when I'm feeling anxious that way or anxiety, I can really feel it stirring up in my body before it manifests into something. What that looks like for me is me being not, not, not moving. So one of the things that I've incorporated as of late is I make sure that I move my body, especially with us being in quarantine. I can't speak for anyone else. I found myself sitting in the house for two or three days. I can't go to the gym. I don't have any gym equipment in my immediate space. So I'm kind of sitting on the same part of the bed or sitting in the same chair and I'm not moving. So even just feeling anxious and irritable and just doing a 10 minute walk. I know it probably sounds so mundane and so nonsensical, but just moving your body and letting things work through your body has been so helpful for me. So always meditation, definitely always rest, but being able to move my body has helped me facilitate the release of so much stress and and especially anxiety. Those are also three of my go-tos. <laughs> um, so what is your favorite hot beverage? I'm in between two right now. I am in love with a particular brand. I found them years ago and just was reintroduced to them recently. And it's the brand is called Rishi. Anybody want to look that word up where that comes from? Again, you know, ancient, beautiful traditions. But I'm in love right now with their blueberry hibiscus tea. I found that that's one of the, after I have a regular warm glass of water, I love the blueberry hibiscus in the morning. And then they also have a sweet matcha. And if anyone goes to Starbucks, you know that the big craze right now is oat milk. (laughs) So I love to not go to Starbucks, buy my own oat milk or make my own oat milk and then mix it with the sweet matcha from Rishi. And it's just so soothing, so comforting. And the flavor is great. And there are also really great benefits from the green tea and matcha. So I'm loving those two right now. Those are my go-tos. Yum. On that same note, what would be your last meal on earth? Oh, no. (laughs) that's a thought no one ever wants to have it would definitely be some food from the yucatan peninsula i have a strong love for latin and hispanic foods i'd probably love like a mango empanada a beautiful paella no pork or beef really heavy on the veggie something like that yeah something something like that that's just going to keep me salivating and something that i don't have often that kind of remind my taste buds of what we had. Okay, I'm hungry. (laughs) Me too. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part is non-negotiable? I think we can assume you do because you meditate. But so my morning tradition is, I guess, kind of a sadhana. So I always do like a prayer. I do a few asanas or what many people here would call yoga. I do pranayama, which is a different type of deep breathing. And then I always do meditation. Those are the first things that I do. But if I am low on time, I have got to do my meditation. Actually, I always have to do my pranayama meditation. So I'll skip a prayer. I'll skip asanas. I'll take my pranayama from like 10 to 15 minutes to five and give myself at least a five minute meditation because that's going to get me grounded and centered to go into whatever I'm about to go into. And one thing I love telling people um, especially about Vedic meditation or any meditation practice that you have is it's cumulative. I've taught people and they'll say, oh, I've got a really big meeting at five o'clock. So I need to meditate 30 minutes before that. Well, sure, you're going to get some benefits from that, but it's cumulative. So when you do this on a regular basis, day in and day out, 
you're already going to be prepared for that big meeting or for that uncomfortable conversation or for that trip to Walmart. And you know, you're going to be in line for 30 minutes. So it's about doing all the small things daily so that when something stressful happens, it's not as much of a catastrophe or a pull on your nervous system as it could be. But pranayama meditation happens every morning without fail. I'll I'll be late somewhere before I don't do that. <laughs> so tell us about a person who inspires you and why. This may sound really wild, but I can't look to one person. I'd say there are situations or cultures that inspire me. Gosh, I mean, since we're talking about Ayurveda and meditation and yoga, I'd say that the Indian culture has inspired me so much. You know, one of the first places I traveled to outside of America was India. Anyone that travels, I've even heard people that go to Jamaica and they go to places that aren't resort type. When you see how people live outside of America, especially my direct experience was with being in India and seeing these beautiful temples and seeing people who they may make one U.S. dollar a day, but they have the biggest hearts, the best attitudes, the biggest spirits. They don't have the brand new Tesla truck. They don't have a 6,000 square foot home. They're not going to the latest and most trendiest restaurants. They're not at Nordstrom's buying all the new perfumes and new fashions, but they're happier than people that I know in America that have all of those things. So whenever I leave the country, it's a bigger push, especially when I'm in India, to just appreciate everything you have. Whether you want to call it a blessing or whatever, many of us are blessed to have more than we can ever consume or that we can ever use. And it's just a reinforcement to me to always give back. You know, you can see people and you never know what they're going through. You can see someone that appears to have all of the worldly riches. You know, they have all the new gadgets and everything that's trendy, but they're unhappy and they're miserable. And then I can go to India and be in a small town and see people that have less than I do that are suffering. They don't have central heating or air the way I do. And they're the happiest, most spiritual, most grateful people. So I just think that that culture in particular has been such a, it's been such a blessing on my life. It's been a reinforcement for my spirit and for my purpose. And I would just, I would tell anyone, whether it's visiting India or visiting somewhere where that's not westernized so that you can appreciate what you have. And then hopefully that will give you the incentive to reach back and help those that aren't as fortunate as you, because we're all we're all living on this earth together. And again, we all work in synchronicity with each other, whether we know it or not. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Books on Ayurveda. <laughs> Constantly learning. I'd say I'm not really into a book in particular right now. I'm really big into magazines right now. I'd say recently... The Harvard Business Review comes out kind of quarterly. I love reading that. And one of the last books I fully read, or I won't say I actually read it, I did an audio book of it. It was talking about the caste system. I believe it was on one of Oprah's top 10 books or her book of the month club about caste. Oh yeah, Isabel Wilkerson, right? Yes, yes, yes. Man, again, that's a powerful I, book. Everyone who's listening should read it. <laughs> definitely. And it's so wild to see the comparison between the caste system in India and then find out, oh, well, we don't call it a caste system here in America, but it's tantamount to the same thing. So 
Very, very powerful book. Definitely. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. What is one thing that brings you joy right now? I'm going to tell you what brings me joy and immense pain. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm giggly because as I, as I said it to you, parts of my body are swollen. So <laughs> what's bringing me joy right now and also some residual pain is gardening. I have a green thumb. The people in my building call me the plant lady because I have over 80 plants. And this is pre-pandemic. So I didn't just hop on the plant train when we were all locked in our home. <laughs> I always had plants. I inherited a home from my mother and I've been doing a lot of garden work at her home. And, you know, I just recall seeing her outside all the time in the dirt, gloves on. She'd be outside for hours and hours and hours. And now I'm trying to implement those same things and keep up that tradition. And this is so corny, but it's so beautiful to see something start from a seed and actually grow. You feel such a sense of pride mm. and but it's so much work. I was just outside a few <laughs> days ago and I was picking up rocks and shoveling dirt and doing things like that. And my forearms are swollen. They look like a thigh <laughs> because I was just doing so much work that my my limbs and joints aren't accustomed to doing. But it's such a joy to see bountifulness come from the little work that you do. I'm with it's you. A hundred percent. We have some different vegetables coming up and it's just so exciting to think about like making a salad from my own lettuce. <laughs> yes. It's like, I don't even want to eat them. Like they're our babies. Like, can we eat the salad? I don't know if we should. <laughs> oh, I'm going to eat the salad. <laughs> that is going to happen. So where can people find out more about your work online? Where can they find you on social media? And do you have any like programs or anything you want to tell people about? Oh, great. Thank you for asking. So my website is Synergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y and five, but it's spelled P-H-I-V-E. So Synergy5.com. And then on Instagram, I go by the handle Kmore108. So K-A-Y-M-O-O-R-E 108. And I'm definitely working on some programs right now. I want to do more and we'll be debuting some more trainings on Ayurveda and anti-racism. I'm doing a little bit more writing and just working more now that things are beginning to open up to be able to uh, travel and teach more on Ayurveda. And if I'm not near you, you can request me to come to a town or a city near you teaching meditation and Ayurveda. And I look so forward to getting back out there and helping people improve their health because health really is your wealth. Thank you so much, Kay, for your time today. It's been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I love speaking to you as well. Let's keep this up. Let's do. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. 